Good morning, Central. You look fantastic today. Has anybody told you that? You look amazing today. It's great to see you today. And just thank you for being here. Um, th thank you for, for making a priority gathering together as, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship God, because that's what we're called to do. And it's just easy these days uh, with all of our online streaming services just not to actually come to church. Um, and I get that, and it's a great convenience when you're out of town or if you're not feeling well. Um, but if you're, if you're up to being in church, there, there's nothing like being live with the body of Christ. So thank you for your faithfulness, making it a priority, uh, getting your kids here, wrestling them out of the house and all the challenges that that brings. Thank you for your, your commitment to Christ this morning. If you're watching us online this morning, welcome. If you're on Facebook Live or our website, we're glad you're joining us today. If you're out in the concourse, uh, God bless you. Uh, we're just really glad that you're here with us. And we are in a series that's called Hidden Messiah. The whole point of the series is that uh, Christmas was when Jesus became visible, when he became flesh and blood, when he was born into the world and we could see him with the natural eyes. But all throughout the Old Testament, all of scripture has Christ at, at the center. And so the Old Testament is full of references and, and profiles of Jesus who would come. So we've been going back and looking at characters in the Old Testament and events that in some way reveal the person or the work of Christ. And so today we're gonna to be looking at a few verses in Isaiah chapter 52. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please open with me to Isaiah 52. If you can find the Psalms right in the middle of the Bible, take a right turn. You're gonna go through a few other books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some of those. You're gonna hit Isaiah in no time at all. Isaiah 52, let's pray together. God, thank you for this amazing group of people, your sons and your daughters that are gathered here to make your name great, to open their hearts to you, to, to, to worship you, to love you, to express devotion to you. And then, Lord, to hear from you as we've, as we've declared our heart to you, now we pray that you would declare your heart to us, that you would speak to us. Uh, Holy Spirit, make the scriptures alive to us today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 52 in just a minute. When was the last time you experienced something that was so amazing in a positive sense, you would say it was startling, like, like so unbelievable that you were just speechless, that words couldn't describe what you were feeling in that, in that moment. Sometimes at a concert, you know, a song can just be awe-inspiring. Sometimes there's a scene in a movie that just, we just all of a sudden we're just like, whoa, that was, that was really, really good. Um, there's a moment like that in weddings. Um, the moment is when the bride is going to be walking down the aisle if, if she's coming from the back with her escort. And, and, and the doors open and everybody stands up and, and honors the bride and everyone's looking at the bride, but then they do something else. They're always looking up here at the groom, right? You're looking back there, then you're looking up here. You're looking back there, then you're looking up here. Why? Because you want to see what he is feeling. Well, let me show you what he is feeling. This is what, this is what he is feeling in that, in that moment right there. I have no idea what's going on at that moment in time. As Shirlene's walking down the aisle, I've never seen her that beautiful. I mean, she's in all of her bridal glory, and I'm just clueless right there as to what time of day it is, where we are, or any of that. Startling when you see your bride in, in all of her glory walking down the aisle. 
You know, there's, there's startling moments in sports, too. In fact, one happened just, just a couple of weeks ago. There was a football game here locally between USD and, and SDSU. And the background to the story is that um, US, SDSU was winning by three points, and there was only eight seconds left to go in the game. And they had the ball, and it was fourth down, and all they had to do was try to run one play that would take at least eight seconds. And I mean, the quarterback did the best job he possibly could. I mean, he drops back, he's scrambling around, trying to kill time, and then throws the ball into the stands. And they review the play and decide that there was still one second on the clock when the ball hit the ground, okay? So USD gets the ball back with, with one second. <clears throat> I think they were on their own 43-yard line. They had to go like 57 yards because they needed a touchdown to win. And this is what happened. <clears throat> <clears throat> Camp under pressure lets it fly almost gets it to the end zone deflected up in the air caught touchdown oh, South Dakota my gosh you have got to be kidding me Jeremiah Webb oh my gosh was it Webb I can't even see who caught it Jeremiah Webb what a game that young man had and I, I can't believe it Uh, yeah, I knew that would say, you know, there was a lot of speechless rabbits at that moment when they, and a lot of startled fans when that, when that all went down. Jay Elson, uh, who attends Central, I think it was at the 930, actually made the call on that. And that, was, that play was voted Sports Illustrated Play of the Year. And it'll probably be up for an ESPY award as well as just an, an incredible play. So, I mean, startling that that could possibly, you're like, how did that happen? And I know it's too soon, Rabbits fans, but I'm sorry, we, I had to make a point. I needed an intro to my sermon this morning, and that's what you get for losing in the last second. <laughs> you know, when the prophet Isaiah, when he wanted to describe Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was going to come, he used those words, startling and speechless. Did you know that? That's how he describes the coming Messiah. Let me give you a little background to our text this morning in, in Isaiah, beginning in chapter 52. The book of Isaiah was written. I, Isaiah lived over 700 years before Jesus was born. So his writings take place, you know, 700 years before Christ was even on the earth. Isaiah prophesied to the people of Israel during the 70 year, uh, years of captivity in Babylon. So he was prophesying to them about the day that God had promised when they would be delivered from captivity. So that was his prophecy on one level, but there was another level in which he was prophesying something spiritually. He was prophesying about the day when the Messiah would come and deliver Israel from their sin once and for all. So he's, he's prophesying this promised one that's coming to save Israel from their sin. And, and in, in very few Old Testament writings, do we see the, the precision and the detail that a writer takes to describe the cross and the resurrection as we see in the book of Isaiah? Only God, listen, only God, 700 years before something happens could describe it in detail. And that's why prophecies are so important to us as Christians because they prove that the word of God is true. We can trust it. 
Because if God could predict 700 years before Jesus was born what the cross was going to be like, what the resurrection was going to be like, that long before it happened, I think we can trust him in other areas of life. Amen? Prophecy is really important. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13. See, my servant, the Messiah, will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man, a reference to the beatings, crown of thorns, everything that that happened before the crucifixion. Verse 15, and he will startle many nations. Now, in some versions that may say sprinkle. It has to do with cleansing or preparing them for this astounding event that was going to happen, the coming of the Messiah. The best word, and so the New Living Translation uses the word startle. They'll be startled. They'll they'll be in awe. they, They won't have words to describe the Messiah. And then it goes on. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. Their mouths will be shut with nothing to say when the Messiah is revealed. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Verse 1 of 53. Isaiah says, Who has believed our message or our report? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? The powerful arm is the deliverance of God, setting the captives free. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. In other words, nothing stately, nothing uh, in his physical appearance that would draw us to this king, this Messiah. Verse 4, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was actually pierced, crucified, nailed for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. This is Jesus. He was like a lamb that was being led to the slaughter. Like a sheep who is silent before the shearers, Jesus, in the point of crucifixion, didn't open his mouth in complaint. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had, he had done no wrong and never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan or will to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Now we're transitioning into the, the portion of the resurrection. That, that he would have those follow him as a result of the cross and the resurrection. He would have many sons and daughters. 
He will enjoy a long life after the crucifixion and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous because he will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels as a sinner, but he bore the sins of many and he interceded for rebels. Again, very few words in the Old Testament so accurately and precisely describe in detail the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ 700 years before he was actually born. I wanna share this morning three, what I would call startling truths about Jesus from the words of Isaiah. Three startling truths about Jesus. And when I say startling, I want you to make a comparison as we go through this between your life and the life of Christ. And by the end, I want you to, to determine if his life really was startling by nature. The first thing is this, Jesus resisted worldly values. Jesus resisted worldly values. Let's go back to the text. Uh, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had an unassuming childhood. He, He has no stately form or majesty. He's not the kingly type. He doesn't really fit the part of a human king. He's not majestic in the way he you know, carries himself and tries to win the approval of people. No majesty that we should look at him or, or an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness and one from whom people hide their faces, not seek him, but hide their faces. He was despised and we had no regard for him. Isaiah is trying to tell us this humble, lowly servant was not the typical king. He was not self-promoting. He didn't have a position that he leveraged against people. He didn't oppress people. He didn't push his way to the top. He was a different kind of king. Jesus resisted worldly values. What is the world value? You ever thought about that? How does the world define significance? Well, if you pick up any secular magazine, just read a little bit, it's going to be obvious within a short period of time, either from the articles or the advertisements in that magazine, what the world values, like physical beauty, wealth, possessions, status, power, position, fame. Those are things that are important to people, to the culture of the world. Those are the things that, in their opinion, make someone significant. And if you don't possess those things, the world would say you're not significant. And as we read this text, we realize Jesus didn't pursue those things. Because Jesus knew that God's value system was totally different than the world's value system. The way God measured significance, the way God measured value is different than the world measures value. And you can have none of the things that the world says is significant and still be of great value. Amen? You don't have to be the most physically attractive person or have a position of power or have wealth or possessions or be all about fashion in order to be significant to God. Jesus didn't pursue 
those things. When the prophet Samuel was sent by God to anoint the next king of Israel, he was sent to a man named Jesse's house. Jesse had a number of sons. And, uh, you know, Samuel, the prophet's just like us. I mean, he's looking for, for that, that, that king, that, the, the human king, the next leader of Israel. And so he's got it in his mind what that king's going to look like. And so the, the sons of Jesse are paraded before the prophet Samuel. And when Eliab comes before Samuel, he says, this is the dude. I mean, this dude was tall. This dude was handsome. This dude was strong. This was a king if I've ever seen a king. And then God says this to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. God doesn't see as man sees. God has a different value system. God has a different perspective on significance and calling. See, man looks at the outward appearance or external things, but the Lord looks at what? Say it again. What is valuable to God? Your heart, your character. God is more concerned about what's happening on the inside of you than, than what's happening on the outside. And, and yet, how much time are, do you spend and how much time do I spend on the external things of life? Getting those things better, whether it's physical appearance or position in the company or getting our company, company wherever it should be. How, how much time do we spend on external stuff? I mean, we, you have goals. I mean, we're, we're heading into January. You, you've, you've got all these resolutions for New Year's, right? What are they? H how many of them have to do with character? H how many of them have to do with changing what's, what's on the inside? I would love to hear some, some resolutions or goals for this, this coming year. Like, you know what, Jeff? I have a pride problem. I, I would like to walk in more humility in my life. I speak really arrogantly to people. I put people off. I would like to change that in my life. I would like to become more patient. I'm impatient with my kids. I'm impatient with my spouse. I'm impatient with people at work. I'm impatient with those people that don't know how to drive. I'm impatient with just about everybody in life. I'd like, I'd like a character shift. Or what about, I'd like to know Jesus better. I'd like to have a deeper prayer life. I'd like to be the best worshiper that I can possibly be. I want to know God intimately. I want to be more like Christ in my character. What about those goals? Do you know what Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees in, in Matthew 23, 26? He said, clean the inside of the cup. If you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be clean also. If you get your heart right, if you get your character right, things will fall into place on the outside, but he, he, he warned them because he said, he said, you clean up the outside of the cup and the inside's filthy. Can you imagine? You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's filthy. Jesus didn't pursue the, the values of the world because they're different than God's values. Whether it was by vision or actually 
Uh, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, maybe you remember that story. He was, he, you know, Satan said, if, if you're the son of God, after fasting 40 days, turn these stones into bread. Remember the temptations of Jesus. And he took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, jump off and God will send angels to rescue you. And then the last temptation, it says, he took Jesus to a very high mountain. We don't know if that's by vision or actually he took him to a mountain. And, and it says that Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, their wealth, the best that the world could offer, beauty, wealth, possession, status, popularity, fame. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all of these things if you simply bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, the scriptures say, you shall worship the Lord your God only and serve him. Jesus said no to that offer. Would we have? Would you have said no to that offer? Like you can have the best of the world, the best that the world can offer, wealth and power, beauty, athleticism, all those things. Jesus said no. Because he, did, he wasn't pursuing the things of the world. He wasn't pursuing the values of the world. I might have been like, oh, maybe a little something, something, just a little bit of that. What would you have said? That's why Jesus Christ is startling. Because we are so moved and motivated by the things that the world values that it's hard for us, it's hard for me to say no. I'd rather have God's value system than the world's. I'd rather find significance like the world finds significance than significance in Christ. Jesus is amazing. Not only did he, did he resist worldly values, but Jesus resisted a victim's mentality. Jesus resisted a victim's mentality. Let's go back to the text. He was oppressed, ruled harshly, treated harshly, but he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, Unfairly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in mid 33 years old, he died. He got ripped off. Why didn't he get 60 or 70 or 80 years? Life was taken away way too soon. Jesus is a victim. Life cut short, didn't have a family, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. You know, all of us are victims. You're a victim, I'm a victim of some manner of injustice. Something that was unfair in our life that we experienced pain as a result of, all of us. We're all victims in some, we've been victimized in some way. And yet just because we've been victims doesn't mean that we have to have that be our identity. It doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to be what we're like. It doesn't have to be what uh, defines the way we speak and the way we live our lives. Because Jesus was a victim, but
but he didn't live like one. Instead, Jesus lived like an overcomer. Jesus overcame the pain and the injustice that he endured. He didn't live like a victim. He didn't have a victim's mentality. So when I say a victim's mentality, what do I mean? Let me share a few thoughts. People with a victim's mentality complain that life is unfair. Always. Constantly. They're always gathering an audience. They're always looking for an ear, someone that will listen to them and and hear about all of the misfortunes of their life, how their life is terrible, how how they're so unfortunate. And maybe you know that guy. Maybe you know that lady that's like that. Whenever you're around them, guess what you're going to (laughs) hear? The woes of life. They're miserable. How how life is unfair at, at, at every single turn. Jesus was silent. Jesus didn't complain, though he was a victim, though he was treated harshly, oppressed, and treated unfairly. It says like a lamb that was brought before its shears, he remained silent. People that are caught in their victim's mindset complain that life is unfair. And not only that, but people with a victim's mentality, they hurt people. They hurt people. Instead of breaking the cycle of pain and abuse in their life, they feel they need to pass it on. So they've been hurt, so they're going to hurt. Instead of forgiving, and moving on and breaking the cycle of pain in their life and in the life of their abuser, they they try to abuse or punish or bring pain to those that have abused them. Hurt people hurt people. They will not let it go. They will not forgive. They're vindictive and they seek revenge and they seek to bring harm and pain to other people. One of my favorite all-time movies is Toy Story. At the same time, it's one of my all-time favorite good-feel movies, and it's also one of the most disheartening. There's a scene in the movie. There's this young man. His name is Sid. Sid is the next-door neighbor of Andy who has all the toys. Sid is jacked up. (laughs) Sid is a mess. Sid takes his sister's toys and disfigures them and then rebuilds them in all kinds of morbid ways. And not much is said about why Sid is Sid. Not much is said about why Sid is all jacked up and has to destroy toys and torture them. But there is one relatively enlightening scene in that movie. It's a scene of Sid's living room. And Sid's dad is sitting in the recliner, passed out, with beer cans scattered on the floor. I didn't call Pixar to verify this, but the assumption assumption in the movie is that dad was probably an alcoholic. And dad may have physically abused Sid. And Sid is carrying that pain of abuse in his life, and he's taking it out on the toys like we take it out on real people. We disfigure them. 
We speak about them. We try to ruin their reputation. We try to hurt them. There's this dark sense in Sid's life in, in which he's received pain, but he's not going to break the cycle of that pain. He's going to pass that pain on to other people. See, hurt people hurt people. People that have a, a victim's mentality uh, blame others for their failure. It's never their fault. There's always a reason why they're failing or why they're not succeeding, not, not, why they're not becoming the people that they want to be. If, if, if my parents hadn't been like this, I'd be, I'd be totally different. If, I'd be a, a better student if I didn't have that teacher. I'd be a better player if I didn't have that coach and so on and so on. Jesus, Jesus he didn't complain. And, and in the midst of pain and injustice, he didn't hurt other people. In fact, Jesus hung on the cross, and remember he said, Father, those that have abused me, forgive them. Jesus broke the cycle of pain and abuse through forgiveness. Fa Father, forgive them. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. They, I'm not going to perpetuate the cycle of pain. And, we, and then Jesus didn't blame other people. He absorbed the injustice. He absorbed the pain for a greater purpose. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Joseph and how he was able to see beyond his pain, see the glory of God beyond the pain. And I'm just, I'm just a pit dweller. I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I, my brothers, my, everybody in my life has thrown me in a pit. I'm just going to be in a pit forever. No, God had a greater purpose, amen? You're not going to be a pit dweller. And God raised him up to the highest level of leadership under Pharaoh. God had a greater purpose. He embraced the pain because he believed that, that God was working good in that situation because God call, causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's how we push through pain. We trust that God is working things for our good, amen? And, and then people that, are, that have a victim's mentality, they, they, they stay stuck in the past. You know, one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years later, they're, they're still looking in the rear view mirror at what happened instead of looking through the windshield at where they were going. They're still talking about that incident. They're still, they're still talking about that as though, it, you know, and it's still crippling them. They're, they're, they're stuck in the past. Jesus didn't live his life, even at the point of crucifixion, looking in the rear view mirror. The only thing that got Jesus through the cross was looking through the windshield at the glory he would experience after the resurrection. After God miraculously raised him, then, then there was going to be glory and joy. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we look, we look pain head on in our lives and realize that through Christ we have a great purpose, a great future, and a great destiny. Not always looking in the rearview mirror at what we're missing and why we're stuck. Jesus refused to be a victim. He conquered his pain by putting his trust in God. Let's go back to 1 Peter. God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, even if it means injustice in your life, just as Christ suffered for you. He suffered injustice on your behalf. He's your example, and you must follow in his steps. Wow. So it wasn't just Jesus 
that was supposed to do this. It's us. Like Jesus now makes it possible to not walk with a victim's mentality. He's our example and he empowers us to live like him. He's your example and you must follow his steps. He never sinned or ever deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case, his hurt, his victimization in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He turned it over to God. He really believed that that God causes all things to work together for good. He was able to absorb the pain, live through the pain, look forward through the windshield instead of in the rearview mirror. Now, if, if you've gone through this kind of pain, the whole point of this message is, do you understand the character of Christ, how startling it is that he could do that? Like, how can we do that? Like, it's so hard, right? How do we live at that level only through Christ and through his grace? This, this is why Isaiah says, you're gonna be startled when you see the Messiah. He was victimized, but he didn't live like a victim. He was an overcomer. And so can you be. It's the hope we have in Christ. The last point, Jesus embraced painful sacrifice. Jesus embraced painful sacrifice. Now, let's go back to the text. It was our weaknesses Jesus carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought that his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was actually pierced, mistreated for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. But the Lord laid on Jesus our sins, all of our sins. He was whipped so you could be healed. Jesus embraced painful sacrifice. Now, we hate sacrifice. I do. I hate pain. I hate sacrifice. I may sacrifice if it, if it in some way is going to produce good in my life. So, so I'm training for this half marathon in June. I'll endure some pain. and discomfort. I'll, I'll endure that because it's going to benefit me. I'm going to trim some time off my last, you know, race or whatever benefit I'm going. All sacrifice for me. Don't ask me to sacrifice for you. Now, parents, I get that we do that to some degree with our kids, but not to the degree of the cross. Jesus embraced painful sacrifice, and we, we kind of don't want anything to do with sacrifice. We, we don't want to sacrifice convenience. Have you, have you noticed that in your life? It, We don't want to sacrifice comfort and convenience. If you don't believe me, the next time you're in a long line, traffic, Starbucks, DMV, just start letting people cut in front of you. I'm good. I I don't mind inconvenience. I could be here all day and be joyful about it. Now, my wife, Shirlane, is an amazing woman, incredible qualities, incredible attributes, except for one. it's It's just a little one, just... Don't cut in line in front of her. You'll get the stink eye. She's a rule follower. If she has to follow the rules, pal, you better follow them too. The rule says, stand in line and wait your turn. Don't cut in line and take my turn. Okay? Sometimes I feel like I have to be, you know, pull the coyote off the cat when I think that there's going to, a rumble is going to happen there. I'm just kidding. Just one, one, one little time. 
I'm the worst when it comes to, to airline flight delays or cancellations. That's my deal. I, I cannot stand being inconvenient. I don't want to sacrifice my convenience. Safety doesn't always have to be our highest priority. That's my motto. <laughs> Mechanical problems, figure it out. Let's just get us there. Weather, whatever. This is South Dakota. Are you a little tougher than that? Did you know that above the clouds, there's no snow or rain? Let's get up there, pal. It just takes like, like 10 seconds to get above the clouds, and we're good. Get us there. I don't need six, another six-hour layover from you. That, that's my deal. I don't want to sacrifice convenience. Jesus did. Cross was a little inconvenient. Whipped with leather strands with bone chips on the end that just pulled your whole flesh and muscle out of your back. That's a little inconvenient. A crown of thorns jammed down on your head, pressing into your temples and causing profusive blood loss. That, that, that's inconvenient. Jesus was willing to be inconvenient. He sacrificed his convenience and his comfort. It's startling, friends, what Jesus does in comparison to us. We don't want to sacrifice our reputation. You know what I'm talking about. You're always, I'm always defending ourselves, aren't we? Someone says something that isn't true about us or, or we hear that someone thought this about us, we go and we straighten it all out, don't we? We don't want them to think wrongly of us. We don't want our reputation to be marred. Jesus' reputation was ground into the mud under the cross. He's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh and people that he created are saying, we don't believe you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, pull yourself down off the cross. Save yourself if you're the Messiah. His reputation, he, he knew he was God. He didn't say, hold, hold, hold on, no, 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 no. Let me, let me just explain. I really am the son of God. He sacrificed his reputation. And you know what else we don't want to sacrifice? Our rights, our freedoms. Well, all that came out in COVID, didn't it? I have a right not to wear a mask. Don't tell me to wear a mask. I have a freedom. You can't make me wear a mask. Don't tell me I have to get vaccinated. Don't tell me. I, this is my body. I can put whatever into my body I want. You can't tell me what I need to put into my body. Don't tell me we can't gather together live as the church. That's what God says we're supposed to do. We have a mandate from God, freedom in God, to gather together. I'm not on either one. Well, I am, but I'm not going to say which. I, I don't care about which side you're on. I don't care which. Masks, wear masks or don't wear masks. Get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated. I don't care. I want you to think for a minute about how deep that feeling of holding on to your rights goes. I'm not giving that up. I have freedom. And Jesus laid his rights down. Do you, do you understand how hard that is? Jesus had the right to judge everyone that was crucifying him, but he allowed them to judge him. He laid down his right. Jesus had the right to punish those who were punishing him, but he didn't. He laid down his right. Jesus had the right to be worshipped in that moment because he was the son of God. Instead of being humiliated, he laid down his rights. Do you, do you even get how hard that is? Think of the freedoms you do not want to lay down. That's the flesh. See, Painful sacrifice rubs against everything inside of us. I don't want to sacrifice. 
I don't want to be inconvenienced. Startling, son of God. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, your whole self to God, because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy what? Wow. Sacrifice. Your whole life is to be a sacrifice to God. And this is, listen to what he says. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Wait, 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 I thought worship was what we just, I thought worship was singing. It is. But so is laying down your rights. So is making your life a sacrifice to God for the benefit of other people. Jesus Christ embraced painful sacrifice for you. And we are called to embrace the same sense of sacrifice for others. We're going we're gonna to move into a time as we close of communion. If you, if you didn't get a communion element on the way in and you would like to participate, just lift your hand up and someone's going to come around. Keep it up because they'll come around and they'll, they'll give you the elements. Keep it up. Our ushers are rapidly getting down the aisles. And I'm going to put the scripture of, of Isaiah 53:11 back on the screen. I want to read this again. When, Je- when Jesus sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience on the cross, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, even though they're unrighteous, even though they're sinners, because he's going to take their sins. As we, as we partake... Uh, we got one right down here. Is there one there, Lean? That she can have? Oh, we're all done. Okay. They're coming. All right. The, the first thing about communion, <clears throat> excuse me, that I want to share with you is that what happened on the cross happened so that unrighteous people could be declared righteous. Sinners could be declared free and cleansed from their sin. That, that's the work of the cross. And so as we, as we share in this, He said, because of the cross, many will be made righteous. So we celebrate the fact that we are cleansed. All of our sin, past, present, and future is forgiven and cleansed in Christ. What a wonderful gift, amen? And we we remember that and we celebrate that as we partake in the body and the blood of Christ. But Paul says something else is true in 1 Corinthians. He says, when we take the elements, the, the bread and the juice, we actually participate in Christ. He says when we, when we bless the bread, when we bless the juice, we, we are koinoniaing, we are fellowshipping, we are partaking of, participating in <clears throat> Jesus himself, which means this. The areas of your life that you are weak, the areas of your life that you are falling short of Christ's standard of obedience, you can rise to that level through the power of Christ as you share in him. Whatever area you're falling short in, so, so are, you, you know, are you walking in a victim's mentality? Are you refusing to forgive? Are, are you always you know, looking in the, in the rearview mirror? Or are you seeking the world's values instead of God's values? Whatever it is that, that we are falling short in, through the power of the cross, as we partake of these elements, we receive the power of Jesus Christ. We partake in him to live that life that God wants us to live. No excuses. 
can't blame other people because Christ is empowering us to live at the level that he lived. So go ahead and take the bread out. And Jesus, we thank you that when you hung on the cross in a physical body, that the curse of sin fell on your life. The, the curse that's brought brokenness, injury, hurt, pain, suffering emotionally, mentally, physically, the, the curse fell on you. You were whipped so we could be healed. You were broken so we could be whole. And, and as, we, as we partake of this, we're grateful for the work that you did. Go ahead and partake of the bread. And at the Last Supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink this. Th this wine represents the, the new covenant in my blood that I'm going to shed on the cross. And for all those who by faith partake of my blood, they will receive the forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. Go ahead and partake of the juice, which represents cleansing and forgiveness in your life. Receive it with thanksgiving. Now, merciful God, we thank you this morning for the power of the cross. We thank you for the example of Jesus, who though he was victimized, didn't live like a victim. He lived as an overcomer. And Lord, we bring before you this morning every area of our life that we fall short, that we walk in the flesh, that we don't emulate the character of Jesus. We bring every area to you, Lord, and we say, in your grace, empower us. In your grace, make us different. This week, by your grace, and as we partake in you, Jesus, that we'd be transformed, that we'd live sacrificial lives, that our worship to you would be seven days a week of giving our lives away for the sake of the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me this morning? You've received in Christ everything you need to walk in wholeness and strength. Be before you leave, as you exit, you're going to drop your, your, communi your communication cards, prayer requests in the box on the way out. And there's going to be some people up here to pray with you if you have any prayer needs related to something in your life. But, but you have a responsibility beginning right now. And as you go to work tomorrow morning or you go to school tomorrow morning or whatever you're doing tomorrow, you're going to go into your world and you're going to be around people. And what if there was people in your life that didn't complain about how unfair life was and, and didn't have to defend their reputation and, and didn't have to hurt people? What if there were people like that that lived sacrificially? Wouldn't it be a joy to be around that person? And God has called you to be that person. As you go into your relational world this week, you need to be different in Christ. And here's my ask as you leave. Be startling. Be startling as you go into your relational world. People need to see a startling Savior, and they can see it through your life. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday.